I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1960, sort of. That's the release date of the album. The album, Will Rogers, the artist, Will Rogers. My guest this week, Katie Mears. Thank you so much for doing the show again. Hello. Yes, I'm so happy to be back. And I was so happy to hear that no one had talked about Will Rogers before. So we have a lot to cover today. We really do. I, I And before you had, uh, well, uh, yeah, before you decided that this is what we were going to talk about, and I apologize for anybody listening, there's going to be some fucking beeping of a truck in the background. That's just the <laughs> reality of the world I live in, apparently. Um, I guess I thought I knew about uh, Will Rogers, but there's plenty I did not know about him. So having to dig in mm. was kind of fun. Um, yeah. So tell me about, like, what did you think of when you thought about Will Rogers before you dove in? Corn pony humor. Um, now I remember <laughs> that's it, you know, and I and knowing I think a few of the quotes, you know, never met a man I didn't like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and knowing enough that I, uh, I was like, I'm pretty sure he was a liberal guy because most of the time, actual political satirists are liberal, fairly liberal or left leaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's about it. I had no idea that he was a quarter Cherokee. Uh, yeah, didn't know that about his background. Pretty fascinating. Yeah. There's a lot of he's he's a he's a really interesting person. Um, who is just gone, it seems like. It seems mm-hmm. like he is quoted now and then, but yeah. the mediums that he excelled at, uh, primarily writing columns and do- doing radio, are not mediums that age particularly well. So no. he, he is kind of, of lost in the annals of time, I suppose, except for nerds like us that can, yeah. can come and chat about him. But he was huge and huge on a scale that I think it's hard to um, think about nowadays just because there were fewer things to watch and read and listen to back then. But at the height of his career, just saying this at the top, he was read by over 40 million people every single day. He had a daily column. Yeah, which is more than a third of the population (laughs) at that time. So like, Everyone knew who Will Rogers was. Everyone loved him. And I talked with my grandmother a lot, which we can get into, but she said that was a huge part of her and her father. They they would listen, and that's kind of just what people would talk about until he talked again. And it was yeah. this beautiful shared culture. Will Rogers was an, a huge, you know, he was a part of the family for a lot of these people during the Depression especially. I love that. I also mm-hmm. love that we that you've picked something that is, uh, if you're... <clears throat> Oh, God, I'm dying. Hold on. <laughs> you okay there? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm a professional broadcaster, and I didn't drink water before we started. Fuck me. Um, <laughs> I love that you picked something that I think generically would be thrown in the old-time radio category, but mm. is not um, boring. I love some old-time radio. I love Jack Benny. I love bits and pieces, but I'm not. I have these old-time radio collections, and you just listen to them, and they're just dull as fuck. At the very least, sure. this is its own thing. And he's a humorist who was making his own stuff, and clearly, for some of it, making it up as he went along, or at least very good at sounding like he did. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first thing that stood out to me is it's his completely unpolished style, which maybe be, have been entirely intentional, mm-hmm. uh, like. I can't tell if he like polished himself to a non-polished version or <laughs> if he just like just decided, no, nah, this, this is how I speak and this is how I'll always speak on stage. I'd love to know. Yeah, sure. I think um, just at the heart of it, he is so beautifully comfortable mm-hmm. being on stage, being behind a microphone. Everything mm-hmm. he says sounds like a person just kind of musing on a front porch. Like he has an ease and a comfort to him mm-hmm. that I think 
just makes me feel kind of safe. Like he's just like a gentle, nice. He has a little bit of Mr. Rogers in him. Yeah. He has just kind of this like really wonderful presence. Um, and I think he was smart enough to know that he possessed a background and a like, collection of experiences and a perspective that the common man and that the people would enjoy. And I think he was a good enough vaudevillian to know how to lean into that. But mm -hmm. I wouldn't go so far as to say it was manufactured. Right. I think Will Rogers is Will Rogers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I certainly hope that's the case because otherwise I, I just feel like, yeah, I don't know. I, I There's not enough about his formal education. Maybe there wasn't. There, he'd said he quit high school at grade 10 or whatever. Um, so yeah. maybe he didn't have any formal <laughs> education beyond that. But No, he was in and out of like Catholic and military schools for a while. Okay. Um, but then he worked on cattle drives basically after school, worked on like ranches and stuff. And then he was a world traveler for a period of time. He was like a gaucho in Argentina for Saw a while. That. I don't know yeah. if you knew that. Uh -huh. And then he was in like a American cowboy show in South Africa as well. Mm -hmm. And then he made it back to the US, started doing vaudeville and then went to Hollywood. That's like the Cliff Notes version. We can get more mm -hmm. into his bio if you want. Oh, I love that. I love this shit. I I <laughs> love stories where the midpoint is vaudeville always. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's such a good training ground. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Should we talk about what this album actually is? Because sure. It's not. It's not. Is this the oldest album you've ever covered? My I God. I mean, you know, in, in terms of the actual content. Yeah. Because you said this is from what? Right towards the end of his life. Right. Yeah. Thirty five. Mm -hmm. Um. So I would imagine so. I don't know that we've yet talked about some old racist cylinders, which at some point will probably come up. But <laughs> Well, like just for context, mm -hmm. he died in 1935, right? Mm -hmm. And so Red Fox was like 12 when Will Rogers died. Like mm -hmm. if we want to talk about how old this is. Yes, right. Yeah, <laughs> That's a good yeah this is way further back. Um, it's not an album in the sense that we know an album to be. It's just sort of right. a collection of snippets that survived from his old radio show. So it was recorded yeah. in, I think, 35 and right. then released in 65. So, yeah, I think it's it's definitely the oldest thing. <laughs> it's had, the oldest thing on my shelf. He had very few things released during his lifetime, although it's a little annoying that some of these things have unknown dates to them. But like during his lifetime, I see two, maybe three records at all. And they were probably singles, you know, 10 inches. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. It, but after he died, what do we got? One, two, three, four, five, six compilations of, of you know, various versions of the wit and wisdom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. 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 He's very snippetable. And mm -hmm. I can't help but think of him in the same way that I think of Twain, who, yeah. you know, um, I've done a ton of work on Twain as a humorist. And I think Will Rogers is in very many ways the bridge between Mark Twain and stand-up comedy. I think he's sure. like a huge part of that translation. And I think this is maybe a wild theory. I mm -hmm. don't think it's that wild. I think I think it holds water. But Mark Twain, if you don't know uh if you're not in the like scene or whatever you think mark twain and you think huck finn and tom sawyer right sure. like that's yeah. that's what people know and mark twain was smart or lucky or whatever you want to call it enough to write novels and novels age better yeah. than obviously lectures and radio and columns but i think if he hadn't written 
those novels and just did all of the other wonderful things he did, I think he would be just in the same exact place that Will Rogers is, which is mm -hmm. we quote them from time to time, but we don't think much deeper than them. Yeah. Um, but Will Rogers made, I think he made like four movies in the two years before he died. And he had signed a contract to make, I think, 20. Mm -hmm. So he, if he would have lived another 10 years, I really think... 10 or 20, I think he would have been huge. I think oh, sure. he died before people were making movies that are watchable by modern standards mm -hmm. because, yeah, it was a different... Let me... Hold on. <laughs> I wrote down <laughs> some of the movies that came out 10 years after he died. Like So within Please. 10 years of his death, you had Casablanca, Wizard of Oz, Citizen Kane, Gone with the Wind. Mm -hmm. Like when you think of old movies, <laughs> that's what you think of. Sure. I don't know anyone that watches movies casually pre-1935. I watched right. um, Judge Priest, one of his movies is actually on YouTube right now, and I watched pieces of it mm -hmm. um, while I was going down my will rogers rabbit hole mm -hmm. um, but i just it doesn't have the same punch i don't think people really sure. knew how to make movies in the modern sense just yet no but no, no, no. i <laughs> it was bordering am... on documentary and narrative it's like we have a story but it's almost like the very idea that we're pointing a camera at something is novel enough still yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there was still some some pacing and some story concepts that needed to be a think ironed out for uh -huh. um movie making at large uh -huh. but all of that said i i would have loved to have seen that happen but i think it's really hard to separate him from twain um in my brain at least yeah i also think and we talk we're going to probably talk about this more and we've already talked about this which is his ease and his affect when he is speaking and when he's performing um but i think he along with twain have this great benefit of not wanting to be showbiz people when they were like kids they didn't mm -hmm. have that trajectory in mind right like will rogers wanted to be a cowboy mark twain wanted to be a riverboat pilot you know mm -hmm. they both had like real americana yeah. dreams you know they they were like real people Thank and so God when their lives didn't exist yet. That's <laughs> yeah when their lives pivoted into the spotlight and pivoted into showbiz mm -hmm. they were real people and i think that really helped them as performers not just because we all know those comedians who really need the love and the laughter and that can be a little icky sometimes um <laughs> <laughs> you know i to think mildly, people yeah. people can smell that on comedians and mm -hmm. i think comedians suffer from that um more than other artists might have to suffer for that because mm -hmm. you know you don't want to laugh at someone who really wants you to laugh at them <laughs> but <laughs> but i think he he and twain really benefit from having been real people first and then becoming show folk because they have things to pull from and they know who they are um, yeah. which is something comedians talk about all the time is you really need to have a life worth commenting on that's the you know that's the pete holmes way of it all but sure it does make me it then makes you a person for sure it also makes me think of and i'm i'm not I, I, I don't want this to sound cynical at all though it does Hit make me. me wonder is at some point though because i listened to i'm sure a lot of the podcasts you've listened to where Probably. it's been a bunch of fucking stand-ups. And I, don't get me wrong. I like listening to a bunch of fucking stand-ups talk about, well, you got to find your character, blah, 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 blah. And that's great. you got to yeah. find your voice. I mean, um, you do then wonder, like, the cynical part of my brain or maybe the skeptic part uh, is just then, okay, so you found your voice. You stick with that voice. Um, I do wonder how often that voice then becomes, I don't know. It becomes a character. It has to be a character. Yeah. It's not you. 
So there right. is still a differentiation. And then the voice also has to evolve with you. Otherwise, it's still not really your voice. And if you're sticking with the old, I don't know. There's a lot to yeah. be dug out well, here. Well, I think, I think what we're circling around here is are you going inside out or are you going outside in? yeah yeah right? like are you a person with a perspective in this world and with mm -hmm. a life and with principles and opinions and experiences mm -hmm. who then says oh this person could be good at performing and could be good at having you know things that people want to hear mm -hmm. or are you saying i want to say things people want to hear how do i build and manufacture that which yeah. seems infinitely harder mm -hmm. <laughs> but if you want to be a comedian then you don't really have a choice you sort of have to think about yourself as sort of a science experiment you have to think about who you want to be mm -hmm. which is already so hard in life to think about who you want to be yeah. but then have to make sure that's like a marketable idea is is incredibly difficult and i i couldn't imagine being those kids that were like 10 years old <laughs> to be stand-ups because you have to be so self-aware and not just stand-up but yeah. probably most art forms but yeah well I, I i i know what that was like and i'll tell you it was hell. yeah tell me <laughs> hell. I didn't were you be a like a little drama but... kid or something no uh i hated everybody at school so um i tried drama <laughs> once and got my lines taken away from me and it was just a further <gasps> fuck you so i hated everybody wait wait wait! you got your lines taken away yeah we did anything anything goes and before this by the way i've been making my own video and teaching myself improv since I was like 13. And then we go okay. and we do Anything Goes and I have a part, but then those lines are given to the child of one of the, the teachers who's running drama that year. <gasps> and I was just like, what the fuck am I? So I just stand here and do nothing. <laughs> and by the way, I was one of the few kids who could actually sing. And I was just like, you know, <laughs> And so therefore, I and did not live enough for the drama that I wanted to stick around. So I, I, I left. And, yeah, you were uh, like, peace out. Yeah, this and is it lame. left a bitter taste. Uh, and, yeah. and, and I'm still not competitive to this day because I'm like, fuck this. No, I'd rather walk away, which is <laughs> maybe one of my... It's not a weakness, but it is definitely a strong decision I made. Um, sure. Yeah, but it is rough. Like, and I went through exactly what you're talking about in my 20s when I moved out here. Um, Did you? And, yeah, because like, I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Am I a filmmaker? Am I a comedian? Am I a satirist? And mm. uh, trying to find yourself while also trying to make art that is supposed to be personal is yeah. uh, weird because you're one of those is going to lag. Yeah, usually. sure. And, and as much as especially in this country we are so like career-minded and effort and protestant work ethic and all of mm -hmm, that stuff mm -hmm. you still have to be a person and being a person is very difficult mm -hmm. like not to make light of of all of these things but no. it's really hard to just have like a, a functioning i'm is it so clear that i'm in my 20s right now i feel like this really makes me <laughs> seem so like young adult but it's difficult and i can't imagine doing it with um, all of these other things tacked upon it, you know. No, you're, you know, you're, you're perfectly. Uh, it's, it doesn't matter. You're in your twenties. Uh, you, uh, <laughs> that that I I am I used to judge people by their age. I'm tired of that shit. People did that to me too. Uh, mm. Yeah, no, it, it's it's that's unfair. I mean, now, when I was in my twenties, here's here's what that usually is: is oh, you're young. No, no. What they're saying is, when I was young, I was a fucking idiot, and I was a mm. fucking idiot in my twenties. Sure, I'm a hundred percent. Oh my gosh. I mean, like, oh I, my gosh. we, I want to, well, I'm not going to make this about me, but I want to tell you one of the things that I guess I did not realize that fascinated me. me about him was that he was one of the early, uh, and this is something I want to research, uh, one of the early fake presidential campaign comedians, maybe the yes. first, I don't know that he was the first, but it's pretty fucking early, 1928. Yeah. Like, and which by sure. the way, a and then the critical following... election, a critical election. <laughs> 
And the following cycle, it was him and the four Marx Brothers as as so VP. Good. What an amazing! So good. <laughs> Damn it, that's good. Yeah, it's incredible. There uh. was um, oh um, <laughs> there was just some like amazing quotes that I found about like the five of them running, and yet somehow still FDR was able to overcome that challenge. You know. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, I love it. Like, oh, yeah, thank goodness he wasn't, you know, ousted by these (laughs) little crazy boys. But, yeah, so wait, tell me, you have have run a fake campaign for a long time now, right? Yeah, since 2004. What's your connection here? Yeah, tell Uh, me all about that. Well, once I did it, I mean, like, I think at the time when I started it, I was only aware of a few fake campaigns. The biggest one was Howard Stern. Howard Stern's Mm -hmm. campaign for president or whatever the fuck it was, was pretty big and huge. And I was Mm -hmm. like, well, what is mine? And mine was like, okay, well, I want it to be a thing. I want it to be this mockumentary because... uh, I was just running on a slogan and I was like, I thought that was funny. I was like, well, uh, JK 2020, a perfect vision for the future was the whole thing. And I'm like, but I'm eligible in 2016. So then the gag became JK 2020, a perfect vision for the future. And then in parentheses, also running in 2016. And (laughs) so then I didn't know what it was. I'm like, that's funny. That's a good gag. And then eventually started writing this mockumentary with these friends of mine. And for 16 years now, it's become a book, two movies, and it's going to be a podcast now. Whoa. Yeah. So I'm, but I'm obsessed with this. And it very much became the same thing, except my character was a pompous ass and didn't realize that he was a nobody who didn't know enough about anything. Oh, Um, gotcha. Yeah. And so because of that and because of the various successes and failures of the comedy and the fact that it's gone nowhere, I've become more obsessed with other people's like Gracie, uh, Gracie Allen's uh, fake, her presidential campaign. I think she wrote a whole book, campaign book also. And I, I don't know. This shit is fascinating to me especially when humorists do it sure well i think it's the best way to mock something right is just to fully commit yourself to it and then you can highlight every little thing within it i think so yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. i mean don't get me wrong at 24 i don't think i knew enough about politics to say anything um acute that's not true that's not true i had a few things to say um yeah but they were they were less out of experience and more out of sheer observation but still looking back some of it's pretty good pretty funny gotcha what did you think of of joe exotic's uh presidential campaign i haven't i have not watched that documentary (laughs) and will not so (laughs) he's one of the he now if he were a humorist i'd be interested in in his campaign Mm. he's just Mm -hmm. It sounds like an insane person, and I then feel sorry for him, I guess. Except maybe yeah, he's a murderer to... or murder for hire man. I don't know what happened. We don't <laughs> We don't we don't need to muddy those waters. That's good. But That's yeah, fine. He's a complicated person. He mm-hmm. he was a lot more complicated than than someone like Will Rogers, who yeah. is very on the surface. I yeah, um, and I love I love he I think there's a lot of cynicism that came out of, uh, as a result of people like Will Rogers because I think there became probably at some point like comedians exhausted with the idea that homespun wisdom has to be fake and it has to be uh it's not real and it's too Mm. cheesy and i listening to this while he even literally repeats the same gag on a record there's some really good shit throughout Mm -hmm. this one um i don't know what it's pulled from is it pulled directly from his radio show or some of these sounded like they were actual gatherings and not radio shows yeah so there were moments when you could hear the crowd but then Mm -hmm. there definitely were some radio shows because you hear him say last sunday i talked about this yes you're right yeah okay Mm -hmm. yeah yeah do you know the story of like how he started in 
vaudeville because he originally was just a cowboy guy like he originally just did rope tricks Mm -hmm. and then he started doing like jokes in between them and things like that and i haven't i've found this in multiple sources Mm -hmm. but it feels just too perfect to be true Mm -hmm. but as the story goes Mm -hmm. he was doing a show in madison square garden and it was like a huge cowboy review do you know where i'm going with this no i don't Uh -uh. no (laughs) no no no, no. please okay and okay so as this the the legend has it that this like steer got loose and was like heading towards the audience and he got to have this heroic moment where he got to in real life rope this steer and like save these people and out of nowhere he became this like huge legend hero because wow these like city folk got to see this kind of brush with like real cowboydom yeah and- yeah <laughs> oh my yeah that's god isn't it a perfect story? I it hope is. it's true. I Me don't too. think it is. It sounds too right. crazy. Um, but that's when he was, you know, doing vaudeville in New York, like in the teens. That is brilliant. Um, and then he was doing this midnight show. Mm-hmm. It was like basically him and a bunch of like scantily clad women on this sure. rooftop. Right. Um, it was like a Zig. It wasn't Zigfeld Follies, but it was something that Florence Zigfeld was like putting on on uh-huh. this rooftop and so that drew a ton of repeat audiences Mm -hmm. and that's when he started to do you know what we know of Mortzal he started to do that okay I have to have fresh things I have to keep reading the newspaper I have to keep having things to say Mm -hmm. Um, I think he had some one-liner about like he went on stage when the girls changed from nothing to nothing (laughs) is like (laughs) the the joke there but that's when he started to yeah become especially a comedian and a writer and a performer and less and less of a roping fool. Yeah, I don't think I knew about the newspaper thing until di- also digging in. I didn't realize he was Mort Saul before Mort's, Mort Saul. And also that really solidifies your theory even more about him being this midway of a comedian because not just this is a gag, it's more oh, I have to have some shit ready. Like, yeah. I'm not just doing this vaudeville gag. I'm not doing these two, this, you know, I'm not doing some double bill of these two dipshits where one's a straight man and one's not. I'm up here, I've got to say some shit. And yes, out of necessity, yeah. like, that is that is unusual. That is sure. not a vaudeville thing to do. Right, think. because remember, like, mainstream vaudeville humor at that time mm-hmm. was pretty... Cut, you know, very simplistic, a lot of horseplay and slapstick and that uh-huh. sort of stuff. So he he was operating on a very different level than most of that. But in terms of the Mort Saul comparison, Mort Saul did not like being compared to Will Rogers, which happened to him all the time. But he was like not a fan. I don't know if you know that or not. No, but, but that doesn't entirely surprise me. Well, I think Mort Saul... Um, I'm not saying this isn't true, but I think mm-hmm. he really likes to think of himself as an educated professorial kind sure. of guy. Sure. And so um, I think I, I can pull up the quote, but the idea is that Rogers was someone who like, was a yokel talking mm-hmm. about the people in government, mm-hmm. and Mort Saul saw himself as an educated man questioning the yokels in the government, mm-hmm. right? So he was the smart outside guy, where sure. Will Rogers was just the guy who was like, isn't it silly the way we're doing this? Don't you reckon we could do it better? You know, yeah. <laughs> he didn't have any pretense, where Mort Saul, right. I think, Mort Saul wants you to know he's smart. Sure. And Will Rogers doesn't really care if you think he's smart. He just, like, has some some ideas and some opinions. Good God, is that the fucking differentiation in terms of 
like modern stand-up comedy and that <laughs> they all are like, hey don't forget i'm smart i know shit yeah, i know things sure. people uh, want to have value i get it um but that's one of the things i when i spoke with my grandma about will rogers she just talked about how um nowadays she doesn't see comedians just allowed to breathe in this way will sure. rogers doesn't have the lpm he doesn't have the last mm -mm, per minute mm -mm. but he's just just so easy no urgency truthy and just hey let me tell you about what's cooking and let me tell you what i think <laughs> he laughs at himself <laughs> too so which i love yeah there's a moment in the album where he is on the radio but he says did I tell you this one? I think I told you this one, but let me tell you this story. And I was like, I love this man so yeah. much. Yeah. Truly, in all the research, I haven't found a single thing to complain about with him. He's mm -hmm. annoyingly good. Yeah. And when I was doing the work, um, when I was reading through everything, my boyfriend was like, well, I know you love Mark Twain. How do you, how does, how do you think of Will Rogers compared to Mark Twain? Like, which one do you like more? And I was, when I think about it, Will Rogers is like a seemingly perfect human being. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Mark Twain is like riddled with faults. Like he's sure. just like dripping in character flaws mm -hmm. and like problems and dumb decisions. And I think that's why I really was like love Mark Twain because mm -hmm. I like, <laughs> I think there's something charming about them. And they, they just both appear, not to keep bringing up Twain, but they, they seem so parallel in my mind. Sure. And they're both able to be so real while being very much themselves, which mm -hmm. I respect them both for. I'm sure um, Will would be the first one to talk about some of his own faults, but I've I've yet to spy any. My God. Yeah. I uh, Well, I love so much that there is... I love really, really, really subversive satire uh, and humor where it's this, and it, 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 it seems... Not gray. It's a tone of periwinkle where I enjoy this. I can sit back and enjoy it. And you mm -hmm. don't, if you're middle America, and I don't mean that in an insulting way, but if you're, if you're living in the part of America where all you have to do is work all day and you do not want to be reminded that shit is crazy and shit has been crazy, which by the way yeah. is still a, a convenient part of privilege, um, like of the, to not be reminded of the garbage every day. Yeah, um, for to a be guy like to not think about it. Thank you. Yes. Uh, for a guy like this to then slip in all kinds of jokes about how we stole America and how we killed and raped the Indians, um, and to yeah. do it and still get laughs. Um, oh my gosh! And to, to not, not come across people. as a city guy. Yeah, and uh, that's a skill. Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't think it's anybody's right to not be alienated, but I think it is a brilliant genius who can make that point, get a laugh maybe make the point subtly and let it get into their bloodstream and not alienate them. That is a right. brilliant piece of art. And if anyone needed that, it was, mm -hmm. you know, ranchers in Oklahoma in uh -huh. 1929. I mean, uh -huh. come on. That's, that's when, that's when, <laughs> uh -huh. Hey, I don't know if you knew this. The depression was bad. Um, oh. Things, things were really <laughs> bad. And so it wasn't easy to make people laugh, but I also think, people were really open to finding things that allowed them to not think about uh, uh -huh. the one or two things that were bad during the depression. So I, I appreciate Will Rogers for what he did for people in that sense. And I am envious that I don't have a Will Rogers of, of my own in this time. It's like if um, <laughs> in the 80s, 
Bruce Willis had been <clears throat> a leftist in any way, he's a giant conservative, um, if he had in any way been liberal and decided he was also going to do weird humor because everybody thinks he's super American because he's diehard man. Um, mm. it's, it's, it, there's a, I was just trying to think, there's no John Wayne for the 80s. By, fuck John Wayne, but I'm just saying, no cowboy yeah. for the 80s. I'm like, nah, it's probably Bruce Willis. Like, he's probably yeah. like what every man <laughs> thinks they should be and accept that, you know. Yeah, well, that's the thing about... I don't know what the everyman looks like now or looks sure. like then. I really don't know. But he definitely was what people thought. He was like what Americans think other Americans are like. Yes. If that makes sense. I yes. think that was something yeah. like That's brilliant. that. Yeah. yeah. It's like he, 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 his probably the thing that doesn't actually exist that like agrarian ideal. Mm -hmm. um, and he, that kind of like Americana. That's, mm -hmm. that's what it really comes down to. But when I think about anyone nowadays who talks about politics from a like left populist save the people perspective and Will Rogers was very much save the people and very much save the planet. Mm -hmm. um, anyone I can think of just seems really beaten down mm -hmm. by <laughs> the system that keeps winning. Uh -huh. You know, like you, you look at, John Oliver or John Stewart or Colbert and they all just they just have so much hurt behind their eyes you uh -huh. know they just <laughs> they yeah. seem they seem um very exhausted by yeah. the system and and Will Rogers um is someone who very much was aware of all of the faults but didn't mm -hmm. ever seem like it broke him in in any way like he, he yeah. seemed to be able to have a isn't this an interesting couldn't we do it better? Right. Don't you, don't you think we could maybe do it better? Um, and, you know, in the bacon beans and limousines monologue, he is definitely coming from a more sober place than I had seen him previously. But yes. he still doesn't seem all is lost. No, no. And he gets uh, uh, the words not even heated, but pointed for sure. And mm -hmm. there's a point where. You know, and I, I just for anybody who's listening or watching the video version of this, uh, it's it's one the humor. I enjoy it. I definitely enjoy it. It is definitely of another time. Um, so they're definitely I, I wasn't laughing out loud, but I was like, good joke. Funny joke. <laughs> nice bit. Hey, I wrote that joke later on. So I stole from Will Rogers. Cool. Aww. That felt good. Right. <laughs> um, so but so it is. It's different watching. Uh, I, and I watched him speaking it because uh, yeah. they recorded it. Um, so th there's a point where the, the comedy for what it is, the humor for what it is, does kind of stop and he's just kind of, he's still being him, which is, I think, inherently funny, which is a, a positive and one of the reasons it works. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, he gets very kind of sober about yeah. the state of things and how things are fucked up and does it in the most plain language he possibly can. Mm -hmm. Stumbles. He's very stumbly, but also that's yeah. charming. Uh, yeah. And it was powerful. Like, it was just because it was coming out of this guy and just the simple idea that people trusted him. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, uh, the most you, trusted man in America. You then see where why Frank Capra had such a boner for the everyman um, <laughs> uh, and and didn't quite do it justice because it feels like Meet John Doe is kind of like if Will Rogers became, you know, an actual politician and doesn't quite work in the same way. But, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's It's, again, charming and also very powerful, I thought. Yeah, he has a great way of 
um, taking big concepts and just making them seem like they're just occurring to him about the way <laughs> the world should work. And like, yeah. doesn't it make sense that the people who don't have money should be helped by the people who do have money? Doesn't it mm -hmm. sound weird that we have more corn than any other country, but yet so many of us are going oh, hungry? So um, it's such a simple, pure idea. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a part in the album where he talks about how pioneers were just people that wanted something for free. Yep. And he does a good job of dressing down some of the like American myth making. Because yes. he's not, he's, he's, he's patriotic, but he's not blind to the reality of what this country was built on, which is yeah. killing and suffering in many yeah. ways. Um, and he a, doesn't, a I, remarkable I, thing to balance. I had, I guess I didn't, I'm sure everybody then knew, there, there was a period of time, it's interesting, because at the same time that he was a humorist, uh, and coming up as a humorist, the vice president of the United States, Charles Curtis, was uh, seven. Was he one eighth? I think he was one eighth Caw Indian. Okay. Um, and I don't even know if that's true. Um, that is what he claimed. And okay. he claimed it as it was meant to be this sort of. It's just weird that at this time that this was a thing you could claim to seem more American when you mm -hmm. would think people would be like, oh. You know, he's part he's part engine like fuck that guy. But this was something yeah. he used to seem more legitimate. And so I guess I kind of forget it was a different point in time. But also, again, he's he's a quarter Cherokee. Uh, Will Rogers is and he gets to talk about it and he talks about it openly. So it yeah. is this element of curiosity and this element of uh, extra Americanism or at least should be mm -hmm. perceived that way. Um, and he gets to talk about it. He's like, oh, you know, maybe my Cherokee blood is, uh, makes me a little biased. I hope not. <laughs> yeah. Like he's just like, and I'm like, Oh God, I love it so much. It's well, just... and, <laughs> and he's not just a quarter Cherokee in the way that like white people are like, I'm part right. Native American. Like right. he was born in Oregon territory. His father yeah. was like a part of the Cherokee Senate. He mm -hmm. grew up in this world. I think he had Cherokee heritage on both sides like he mm -hmm. was very much a part of that community um which which gives him that perspective mm -hmm. um you know he's famous for being from oklahoma but mm -hmm. he he was born in oklahoma when it wasn't yet a state it was oh, right, just yeah. straight up yeah it was indian territory technically speaking if you want to be this um actually type person he never <laughs> lived in oklahoma yeah <laughs> which is like a fun dumb fact That's but you have to remember that america at that time wasn't even america yet that we have to go yeah. so far back mm -hmm. to to remember and that reminds us that oh yeah the settlement and the native americans and the civil war all of this is so real and mm -hmm. so fresh right mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can't just put it in a place in your mind that like being an Indian makes you cool. This is still a huge part of the country at that time, you know, mm -hmm. very, very real. Yeah, I just but I and that he just openly talks about it and it is part of who he is and accepted part of it, his act, accepted part of his personality. And mm -hmm. people laugh at it. They give it the laugh it deserves. And they also, I think, because of that, are giving a little bit more credence to him talking about mm -hmm. Uh, us slaughtering Native Americans. It's, I don't know, yeah. that just that it's so, such a free part of it. I was like, oh, this is great. It was like so <laughs> refreshing to hear him talk because that's some of my favorite shit. Some of my favorite, yeah. um, I think American comedy is like uh, Stan Freeberg's uh, History of the U.S. There's some really great shit in there about the Native American. It's not perfect. It's yeah. imperfect because he's, um, he's not Native American, but there's some uh, really good stuff in it. Well, then nothing's more fun than uh, watching like British comedians make fun of Americans. Mm -hmm. Like I love, I'm not just British all over the world, but sure. I, I love when people make fun of America. It's so mm -hmm. fun. It's so fun to see the other perspectives. 
Um, did you know that, do you know the story about him and like trickle down economics? I this do is not. Like a fun, no, he, please. I don't know if he necessarily coined that term, but he is the one who like talked about that and talked about it as an ironic moment. And then Reagan came in later and was like, yeah, but we're actually going to do that though. Yeah. Um, but he has this, um, let me, I want to read it to you because it's just so, so good. And I sure. don't want to paraphrase it and ruin it, but he, um, okay. So this is Will Rogers. The Republicans didn't start thinking of the old common fellow till just as they started out on the election tour. The money was all appropriated for the top in the hopes that it would trickle down to the needy. He knew that water trickled down, put it uphill and let it go and it would reach the driest little spot. But he didn't know that money trickled up. Give it to the people at the bottom and the people at the top will have it by night anyhow. But at least it will have passed through the little poor fellow's hands. They saved the big banks, but the little one went up the flue. So that's from a speech from Oof. 1932. But this idea that like, yeah. if you give the money to the to the people at the bottom, it, the rich people are going to have it by night anyway. Mm -hmm. Like at, mm -hmm. <laughs> at least let it pass through their hands before it goes up. Like that's 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 a comedian. Mm -hmm. He called himself a humorist at that time, but mm -hmm. um, that's a comedian saying that trickle down economics doesn't work in 1932. <laughs> <So fucking laughs> like insane. we failed Will Rogers in so many ways. <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah, it's so mm, I don't mean to just talk about politics this whole episode, but uh, I, I think it's if, unavoidable. Uh, We're talking about very good satire and very good. Yeah. Uh, it's good. Well, this is... Politics is on the brain. I mean, it's it's yeah. hard to avoid in and outside of comedy right now. What's funny um, is like that's I think that's the first quote we've even done. We haven't even gone through because he is like a quote farm for yeah. for lack of a better word. Have you read yeah. his autobiography? Because I have it and I, I fucking I needed to crack it open before this, but I didn't I wasn't able to. I have to. not. No. When did it come out? Do you know? I do not know, but I will tell you my copy Sometime is in the 30s, wants probably. to fall apart. So yeah, it's from Cute. from the yeah, 20s or 30s. So I am yeah, going to no. have to dig through. He's but. in the ranks of Twain and Lincoln and Marilyn Monroe and those people who said everything that's ever been said. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything is a treat to them. Oh, Oscar Wilde is also on that list. Yes, very but much. But they're so. they're just the people that are quoted to death. Yeah. Um, and mo be careful with Google because he probably didn't say most of what you're reading. But yeah, you can go right. to willrogers.com and look at the quotes. <laughs> My mom always said, "An eye for an eye." That wasn't him. That was the Bible. <laughs> no, please, please stop it. Stop it. Yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, and I don't even know that I could. I mean, I did write down some stuff from the record that stuck out to me. It's like, oh, that's a good line. That's a good line. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I the don't organized know. party one is the is the mm -hmm. most famous one I've heard. I'm not a part of any organized political party. I'm uh -huh. a Democrat. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. One. I mean, that's solid. Sure. He, he also but was no. smart enough to also do that to just like to there was not a it was not. You know, uh, it was not punching in every direction. It was it was also self-punching a little bit of that because he was smart. Sure. He knew to make himself the butt of the joke a little bit at the very least. Right. Well, and he wasn't, I mean, we think of political comedians mm -hmm. and we forget he wasn't out for blood at all. Mm -hmm. If he ever right. thought that he offended someone, he felt terrible for like weeks. <laughs> he was not that right. type of guy. He was so ready to apologize. He was not there to like hunt anyone you know, he was mm -hmm. he was friends with, with these people. He knew how to talk to people um, at the top and talk to a common man and not alienate anyone. Um, and so I guess there are probably political people nowadays who would critique him for not holding people accountable, for being mm -hmm. probably too nice to people that um, did some very bad things. Mm -hmm. But I, I think you have to remember 
that the fact that he didn't do that is what made him so successful, you know? Yeah, and reached as many, a third of the fucking country. Good Christ. Yeah. Can you imagine anyone that famous nowadays? No. No, that doesn't exist anymore. Like, who who is the most trusted man in America right now? Mm, I have no idea. I can't. No. Like, just the the same as I can't be Is it Joe Rogan? I'm I'm serious. Who is it? I'm going to go crack the (laughs) cyanide cap in my molar right now. Give me a second. No, but I'm serious. I know. I don't know. Yeah. In terms of like uh, falsely or otherwise, who's trusted the most? Yeah, I guess it's who the fuck is listened to the most. And that is. uh, Well, I don't think uh, there's any art form that you can produce as consistently and in terms of volume as Mm -hmm. like a podcast or radio show. So it's definitely a podcast host or a radio host. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. Is it like Rush Lim? or something oh, like that God, it might be oh. in terms of like a plurality sure right? yeah it might be it might be uh, i don't know we don't need to go this direction all you're doing but... is making me sad and sad i'm sorry sad. let's That's pull fine. ourselves back out of this <laughs> <laughs> so wait tell me about um tell me about dick davy because i don't yes. know anything about him okay so god and i'm gonna apologize to the audience uh in advance uh first of all this can be a long episode hope you're cool with that katie second of all um I'm, <laughs> we have a lot to cover my audience has heard the dick davy story a million times but so cliff nestroff okay. did my show in 2014 or so and he was like Cliff. yeah and he's great and he's like i want to talk about this guy named dick davy i'm like okay don't know who that is but i'll find his record and i'll listen to it and i did and mm-hmm. i'm like oh this is fun this is good it's this arkansas comedian who is talking race relations but he's doing it in this very very will rogers way he's like okay. oh you know it's too bad that this can't happen and this can't happen and you know and he and he does it and this album is recorded at the apollo um a lot of a big deal was made of the fact that he's a white guy at the Apollo, which is like a little condescending, but I still think it was important to note that the audience loved the shit out of him. And they are a notoriously mm-hmm. tough audience. Race barrier doesn't matter. They're just a tough audience. Sure. Um, they loved him. The record is very good. And it is all about race relations. The The first one, came, oh God, I can never remember the date. I think it's 66. I think it's the 66 and the 67. Okay. Um, I should know this better. I'm now his archivist, but like I, I haven't dealt with it in a while. You, having dates memorized doesn't mean you know more or less that's about That's true. Thing. Don't I know, be too hard on yourself. That's fair. That's fair. And but it's very much very Will Rogersy. And okay. uh, long story short, Cliff didn't know who he was. Nobody knew who he really was. Like what was his real name? Is his real name Dick Davy? There were stories. Maybe he was actually Jewish. Blah 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 blah. And then a couple years ago, some crazy shit happened in my life, and I decided to delve in. I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to try and find Dick Davy one more time. I had tried previously because I wanted to help him out. I was like, cool, Cliff. Hey, look, you know, maybe I can help find him for you. And I didn't tell him that. I was like, I'm not going to be a failure. I'll only tell him once I find him. So um, <laughs> 2018, at the very end, I did a lot of digging for a month and a half, couple months. And I found he passed away in 2011 or so. But I okay. found his family and I spoke with all them. Yes, he, he was the son of a very famous rabbi in, in uh, Upper West Side of Manhattan. Um, okay. He w- uh, and started as a folk singer, became a comedian. Wow. He did that whole path. And wow. But also, he was a part of this thing called um, the Ten Gallon Trio. The Ten Gallon Trio went around to schools and sang uh, not folk music, but Americana music. So a lot of cowboy songs, uh, which I think is where he learned this twang and where he picked up that Arkansas is where his character is from. Uh, ah, sure. Specifically, by the way, Evening Shade. Evening Shade has only made an appearance in the co- in the consciousness then and on the show Evening Shade. Just a weird, mm. weird coincidence. And... Um, okay. But before before he became between that and between becoming Dick Davy, he had various different names. His real name was Richard Hoffman. 
Uh, in okay. between that, he started billing himself as the Jewish Will Rogers. And now I understand why, because <laughs> the style is exactly the same. He laughs at himself in the same way. He's putting on kind of um, uh, obviously an accent, but putting on a voice and a manner that is like, oh, this is so Will Rogers. It's undeniable. Like, yeah. Uh, and yeah. And so, yeah. So he's billed as the Jewish Will Rogers. And uh, I got to pull up the name, but. I was interviewing his widow, she's his girlfriend, but his widow and his niece. And his widow was like, you know, he was supposed to play some comedian on stage and he was always so angry he didn't get the part. I'm like, I'm like, did Hal Holbrook beat him out for fucking Mark Twain tonight? She's like, maybe that was it. No, maybe it was Will Rogers. And I'm like, huh. And then I look it up. Will there, Rogers' son played him. Will Rogers' <laughs> like son did play him. But then there was a thing called Will Rogers USA that was put on in the in uh, the 70s. Oh. It was before another big show about him. And it was produced by a guy named George Spota, who also produced and directed Dick Davies' first album. So oh. that's why he thought he was going to get the part, I think. You're so, such a, a sleuth. Oh, my goodness. So this is it's now all tying together so that... I now have to interview his widow again, uh, hopefully in person when I come to New York at some point. And I just want to dig in because I now think that Will Rogers is such a huge part of the puzzle that I wouldn't have really thought about hard enough. I was going to dig into the Will Rogers thing eventually, but you now forced me to. And it's now blown up a whole lot more in my brain because I was like, why the accent? Why this? I'm like, he was doing this Western music, but why? And I think he probably did it all because he must have loved Will Rogers. I I don't think it's a coincidence. No, and that's a great example of something that someone over the age of 70 would be able to solve for you in four seconds, Easily. right? But then Easily. in our generation, you have to, that's the point of being a historian or an archivist. You yeah. have to find that all out yourself. There are right. so many things that I would love to know that would take me 10 plus hours of research that anyone <laughs> <laughs> over a certain age could tell me in, in a minute. This is what's killing is me magical. is like trying to interview people about Dick Davey too, because they're all dying. Like, yeah. to be frank, they're all dying. And like, I almost had somebody who's definitely worked with Dick Davey. And he's like, nah, no, nah, I'm not interested right now. Cool. He was going to do it. And then he's like, nah, I can't. I'm too busy. Or not too busy. I just, I'm not up for it. I'm like, that's fair. I'm not going to blame you. But it would have been. Ooh, I will blame you. <laughs> yeah, right. I even like, I bet I would have gotten two usable sentences out of an hour interview, honestly. And yeah. that's what I count on. That's sure. fine. I just want yeah. to know who he was as a performer. Because here's the other thing. He would do that accent off stage. I've talked to people who's like, oh, I didn't know he was Jewish. He was doing the Arkansas accent backstage. So the prestige, you got to live it. Right. I'm like, that's some Andy Kaufman (laughs) shit. What is going on? And I don't know why. His wife, his girlfriend doesn't know why. His niece didn't know him well enough to know why. His girlfriend doesn't know why. Yeah. Because by the time she met him, he had quit. He was just a teacher. Oh, it was just in the past. Mm-hmm. They yeah, never just, talked about this huge part of his a life. A little, a little. She's got, <laughs> she's got his uh, scrapbook, and his scrapbook is a very scrapbook that is described in the only interview that was ever really done with him. And she still got the scrapbook, and I'm like, and she sent me something from it, and uh, yeah, there's the, but that's hmm. it. That's where his career lies is in this scrapbook and on these two albums that I don't think she even owns the albums. Oh, what a fun little mystery. I love yeah, right? that. So long story short, uh, I'm very excited and happy, and again, that you helped me make it about me. But no, that you discovered that you made me dig into something I would have needed to anyway. And again, it just blew up a huge part of the story. Yeah. Well, if there was any time, at least for me, that I wanted a project to sink my teeth mm-hmm. into, it's quarantine. Yeah, I've right? been real hungry. For I was like, what's the most nerdy, heady of these <laughs> albums that I can really educate myself on? And I had a blast talking with my grandmother and talking uh, with my boyfriend's grandfather and like 
Oh, like, wonderful. Just, just, yeah, immersing, immersing myself, watching all everything, listening to everything a bunch. Just such a blast. And I definitely, I, I feel like it was, I know so much about stand-up and I know so much about Mark Twain, but there mm -hmm. was this kind of like 40 years in the middle that mm -hmm. I just don't know enough about. Speaking of, of Cliff, he's the king of that era where I oh, yeah. know so little. He knows so much about the like 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, yeah. um, the, like the mob run scene that, mm -hmm. that I'm very um, undereducated and underexposed to. So it has been such a pleasure to learn more about Will Rogers. But listening to so much Will Rogers, I feel like I understand my grandmother a bit more, even though he wasn't that big in her life, but mm -hmm. he was big in her parents' life. And, you know, she was born in 31 in okay. Illinois and grew up there. Her, her family was from Hume, her, her parents' family. So there's so much in the way that she talks and the jokes that she makes. She always loved Letterman. She really just kind of likes the All that right. kind of Midwestern. She she liked early Letterman, I'll say. Mm -hmm. But she likes that kind of dry, smart, a little, maybe like just some touches of like, I'm going to sneak this joke in, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's 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 been fun to learn more about her in this in this process. It's been I a real that. pleasure there. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I honestly, I appreciate you, uh, you know, interviewing her, which I, I don't know where I'll throw it in, but I'll, I'll throw it in either at the very end or somewhere in the middle of our conversation. But Dope. it's it's very sweet. I, I love that you talked to her about it. It was, uh, <laughs> I don't know. And like she I, also, I can tell that she's a funny woman, not just because she was funny, oh but God, that fucking energy. Holy shit. Man. Oh, my God. She's a hoot. She is like the queen of her retirement community. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Every <laughs> old man is in love with her. Like <laughs> she is just the best. Everyone, she has this group of friends. They can't right now, obviously, because they're all in isolation yeah. during Corona times, but she has this group of friends. They all hang out at the um, fireplace every night and like gab. Yes. I was at her place um, like a few months ago and I don't know if she'd like me telling the story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh, she, there was the phone rang and it was this guy that lives in her complex who was like offering to drive us somewhere. And she's like, no, uh, we're fine. Like she just has these like suitors <laughs> that are like <laughs> knocking on her door. She's just, she's a queen. Everyone loves her within five minutes of meeting her. She's just a big old ham and I love her very love much. That's so good. That's yeah. Good. She was a big part of, of, you know, I was just raised in a in a household that had, I think, good taste in comedy, yeah, which has, apparently. has paid some dividends here. Yeah, right. <laughs> Couldn't we use a Mill Rogers today? I have yeah. listened to all of this all day long, and I'm I'm just hopped with it. But mm -hmm. I kept thinking because I knew you were going to call me, and I kept thinking, we need someone like Will Rogers today. Just yeah. a homebody who's not trying to impress you. He just is what he is. He chews his gum. He sh sh runs around with his little rope, and he just says nice things, and he tells the truth. He told the truth, and yet people absolutely loved him. And in our country now, nobody's telling the truth. Well, nobody loves anybody. I called him. I, in fact, I wrote up at the top of this piece of paper. I, I called him my, kind of a ho-hum with ho hum humor. Mm. I mean he he wasn't he was kind of he wasn't out to make you just double over with laughter. He mm -hmm. was just out to kind of I've seen a couple of movies of his where he's just just standing there swinging that lasso <laughs> and then all of a sudden he'll think of something and it's 
sort of sort of funny, but the longer you think about it, the funnier it is. You know, <laughs> yeah, there's just, no urgency to it. No, no, he's just telling truthism. The Republicans <laughs> loved him just as much as the Democrats did. He, yeah. he got to a lot of these guys, and he used to name them, too. Dad was a Republican, Mom was a Democrat, and they both adored him. So, Aww. you know, he had, he had friends on all sides of the aisle. And mm-hmm. Will Rogers basically was such a Democrat, but my dad just, you know, everything that Will Rogers said could be applied to their lives at, mm-hmm. as, at that time. He helped the people recover. I think mm-hmm. he helped people oh, recover yeah. from the Depression because everybody, everywhere they people went, they were telling Will Rogers stories. Everybody knew who Will Rogers was, and everybody knew what he'd just said the day before. I remember my grandfather, Thompson, when he would say something about Will Rogers, and and, and they would talk about when he crashed in the airplane with Wiley Post, and my grandfather would tear up, literally. I oh. mean... They felt uh, just uh, Will Rogers was a, a member of the family, sure. and if, if you know, and if you had to sit at the table every Sunday with my grandpa, you knew everything Will Rogers <laughs> had said during the week. Seriously, yeah. sure, because that—that's all they could talk about. There wasn't yeah. anything else going on in Hume, Illinois. We want our comedians now to be sharp, yeah. and we want them to make us laugh right away. Okay, you know, you're out there on the stage. Yeah, say something funny right now. Mm -hmm. Make me laugh. Yeah, we don't let them live in it as much. uh -uh, uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Yeah. I feel like your sense of humor is often very Midwestern and low-key and kind of... I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. I I get it honestly. I get it. And and, uh, I will say almost anything if I think I can get a laugh. I've never gotten tired ever, ever, ever of Will Rogers. Yeah. And you know, that's why you are talking to me now, that I quote him a lot. Uh, you know, I sit by the fireplace with my friends, mm-hmm. and they've they've all heard my Will Rogers quote, so I'm going to have to find some new ones. I'm and and I won't expect my royalty check for a month or two, right? Oh, sure. Well, okay. you can have 50% of the money I make off of this, which will be zero dollars. I remember, no, going into college and somebody talking about uh, philosophy. I took some philosophy courses because I really thought I was deep and being like, wow, they were the first stand-ups. And I like remember really thinking that was a deep fucking thought. And and I'm now like, good Christ, I'm so glad there are people like you who exist who have better thoughts about things. Well, Um, that that specific thing has been the bane of my existence because every single comedy scholar mm-hmm. has like their vote for who the first stand-up comedian was and they sure. all disagree and they all think that they're right and that no other opinions exist mm-hmm. myself included obviously sure but that seems to be the like tent pole of a comedy scholar is like i know who the first one was mm-hmm. and it's such a silly pursuit because you have to first define stand-up comedy in order to define who the first one was fair and yeah. that's such a fool's errand there's like no <laughs> yeah there's no way to do that i think in my definition of stand-up, Mark Twain and Will Rogers would be on that list, but not on yeah. someone else's definition. Sure. Um. Some people would probably be like, you know, Charles Dickens got up and did, uh, you know, he did a, a tight five before he would do a Christmas carol. So, <laughs> you know, he was probably the first stand-up. Yeah, everybody's well, got their own opinions. But they're all valid. Um, although I will say I do 100% subscribe to the Mark Twain theory. I've always thought that was, uh, he was probably the best contender. Yeah, well, one of my favorite comedy scholars and a, a good friend of mine is is Professor Ian Brody, and he has a really interesting theory that I think y- you would have a good opinion on, 
um, he believes that the inception of stand-up is really tied to the invention of the microphone mm -hmm. because it requires an intimacy and an ability to control a room um, and get that feedback. Like you have to be able to allow the audience to participate, but then mm -hmm. know that you can get them back and having the microphone allows you to do that, yeah. which I think is like a really wonderful theory. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? Because I, I think it suits the timeline quite well, quite well. No, I mean, that's incredibly smart. And I think we are tempted to avoid using technological demarcation uh, to define something like that because our, our, we're like, well, they have the intent to do such and such or they, you know, the art was still there. And we think somehow maybe that the technological demarcation then uh, maybe eliminates all the effort that was done before it. But I think that is a smart way to do it. I mean, crooners technically couldn't have existed before the microphone. There mm. were no, you couldn't, you, you can't just, you can't sing like this and then fucking everybody hears you. It doesn't exist. <laughs> sure. Get a microphone in front of Frank Sinatra and he sounds like a god. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's a really interesting philosophy. It's a fun uh, like theory thought on it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and you know, if you want to go a little bit for well, no, because there was it, that's the other thing too. Is before the microphone, obviously, in terms of like recorded media, there were no real microphones. There were fucking tubes going, uh, funnels going down into a, a cylinder. But there wasn't stand up. There was rarely a comedy monologue. Not that there were none, but a comedy monologue also totally different from stand up. Not sure. the same thing. That's interesting. Yeah, so it's a fun it's a fun thing. I've heard Bob Hope, I've heard uh, mm -hmm. Charlie Case, I've heard Lenny Bruce, I've heard uh, Mark Twain and Will Rogers. Like, mm -hmm. there's a million people that get touted, but I think uh, at the end of the day, I think what is stand-up comedy isn't the most fruitful question to be asking. I think sure. the questions of what it has done and what it has been and what it can be, I think, are are more fruitful questions to ask. Yeah. I've, I've just been, I've been making, I've been digging to the other end. I've been trying to figure out what the first recorded sketch comedy ever was. And oh. I still don't know what it is because I'm also struggling to define what sketch comedy is. Sure. Um, because if you dig far back enough, vaudeville is its own thing. And then eventually sketch comedy becomes something, but there's an in-between and there, you know, yeah. I don't know if it's a hard line and I don't know if it's sound effects. I don't know what it is, but I, you know, I found a few so contenders. Is, is if you're like a minstrel, like mm -hmm. when does that become sketch? Because there's def there are definitely like group. I know a minstrel show has a very specific format, but mm -hmm. there has to be early minstrelsy in vaudeville that we would call sketch, right? I would think so. And I was also trying to figure out is a two dude, and they're mostly dudes, obviously, but a two dude sketch a sketch or is it like something else is it just a dialogue like is there something yeah. else that makes it sketch beyond these two fuckers just making jokes hey i saw your wife the other day. that wasn't my wife that was blah blah, blah. you know like i don't yeah. know is i don't know if that's a, a sketch that's what i'm also wondering i don't know maybe maybe <laughs> but like the second i hear a sound effect my brain is like that's a sketch so that's oh, where a part of where my brain went but it that can't just be it either it might be yeah. a plot but then could you also then say that this if the jokes kind of tie together is there sort of a plot too this is i'm so up my own ass on Wait, this are there any stand-up comedians who do like gary gullman does mm -hmm. sketch sort of in his stand -up. like you within, could make that argument sure yeah you yeah, know yeah. like the how the states got abbreviated in the Trader Joe's. If if you're going back and oh. forth between multiple uh -huh. characters, I think that I think you could make a very academically ridiculous thesis mm -hmm. statement thing that that is sketch, and I would read it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I've also wondered the same thing. That. Yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's a valid question because 
story, multiple characters. Uh, yeah. But it, uh, you know, yeah. and I, I don't know. I, I think so. Because <laughs> that's, that's why I've also had trouble organizing some of my records sometimes. I'm like, is this stand up? And also when it's a character, is it stand up anymore? I'm not even sure. Yeah. It is, oh, is don't it, you, you miss know? character comedy? I miss yes. it so much. Yes. Oh. I mean, I have I love... such an affinity for that stuff. Do you have a particular mm. favorite though? Oh my God. Gun to my head. The first thing is Bobcat Goldthwait. Oh, sure. I have such a random love of Bobcat Goldthwait that my mm-hmm. nerdy comedy, like elitist friends cannot understand. That's and funny. neither can I, but I just adore him. Have they heard Meet Bob? <laughs> Meet Bob is a very funny album. It's yeah, it looks so funny that it got him to. Didn't Kurt Cobain love it? And that's why he opened for that's, Nirvana. <laughs> that I did not fucking know. That's amazing. Oh my God. Yeah, he used to open for Nirvana. Oh, that's really funny. Uh, what a specific time and place in American history. Uh-huh. Bobcat Goldthwait and Nirvana. It's just like, it paints such a picture. That makes no, I no love sense. Him. That's really funny. Yeah. yeah. He's, and what I also love, I think I talked about this with somebody the other, oh, it was Jimmy Pardo because we were, t- that was one of the few sketches that I liked in that comic relief album we were talking about uh, was Bobcat Goldthwait literally getting up and they were saying, I can't really do comedy, you know, without, you know, I'm better in the shower. And then they bring a fucking shower on stage <laughs> and he gets in the shower. And, and I loved it. It's dumb, oh. but I loved it. Oh, I oh my gosh, that's amazing. I really I miss like big concepts like that. Yeah. You see it sometimes, but the 80s was just such a wild time and mm-hmm. I would have <laughs> I think I would have eaten it up. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I would have been I think I would have been in line with the culture that was very tired of it when they were tired of it. And then and then alt was born mm-hmm. and I would have been so I think my sensibilities skew more alt on a broad scale but mm-hmm. i love alt and club comedy but damn some of that stuff some of that wild stuff i love it Ugh. it's interesting that a combination of that and just tired stand-up led to i like alt comedy as well but i think it's also incredibly cynical <laughs> like it is at its heart <laughs> so cynical sure. um it's a response to something else it's also a response to what they find to be cynical um, mm. so I, re- I respect that because I, I, you know, the, the idea that like, you know, this, this, this stayed boring, every, every bit of comedy everybody else is doing, got the fucking sleeves rolled up and you're making the same observation. Everybody else is women be shopping. That is cynical too. So a response <laughs> to that was necessary, but then there becomes this point where it's like, okay, you're bitter and you're ironic and I got sure. a little tired of it after a while. Yeah. Well, I that's lived through the swings 90s. both ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Barely lived through the nineties, but you know. Enough. I lived through the 90s, but I was six when they ended, so yeah, I, get I don't it. think young. that counts. We get it. We get it. <laughs> um, do you, okay, uh, do you uh, have a, my God, there's so many good quotes on here. I got to tell you also, there's this bit that was so tell up me. my alley and so dark where he's just talking about, he, it's the, same, the bit he repeats at the beginning and towards the end of the album, which is like blah, 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 day or something week, whatever week it was. Oh yeah, we gave him a day. We gave sure. him a, yeah. It and was he's presidents like, and then mothers. And he's talking about all the different, and, and one of the things he says is don't beat your wife week. And I was just like, damn, that's dark, but also that's my style yeah. of dark. Like, I was like, mm-hmm. it's rough. I like, I, I, for those who, I don't find domestic abuse funny. I do find talking about it outwardly uh, interesting and, and fascinating, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Well, he, it, yeah, there were some moments in this. I think if, if you just listened to our conversation thus far, you might get an impression that it's more sanitized than it was because there, sure. there were some pretty edgy parts in that special. Mm-hmm. The one that comes to my mind first is talking about, there's a moment in the album where he talks about how people um, complain about prices for 
buying land and for expanding mm-hmm. and how when the settlers got here they just had to shoot another indian when they wanted to expand and mm-hmm. like what a terrible terrible yep. joke mm-hmm. and then it, there's some tag too where he's like they could just get the lead back after dissecting the oh, indians yep. to make more bullets mm-hmm. you were like damn will rogers like yeah. get them yeah and at the same yeah. time i'm also like i'm having the thought i have when somebody like an early dave Chappelle or other people where it's like who's laughing for the right reasons and who's laughing for the wrong reasons. I, but yeah. I don't know that he cared. I, you know, I think you have to get up there with the hope that it's reaching everybody in the right way. And then, you mm-hmm. know, the reality that it's reaching a percentage, a tiny percentage. But yeah, <clears throat> yeah there's that. And there's uh, never, there's something about there never being a picture of a pilgrim praying who wasn't also holding a gun. Holding a gun. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's good. Good, yeah. good, And good he had shit. some, there was a moment too where he told a joke and then he said that his wife didn't like it and wanted him to tell it differently. Uh-huh. And I was like, I love, I don't know if it's true or not, but I just yeah. love picturing them like workshopping his bits earlier mm-hmm. that day. Mm-hmm. And she's like giving him constructive criticism. Right. It's such a beautiful image. Oh, maybe uh, she's like, what's Jim Gaffigan's really wife's name? Uh, is it Jeannie? Jeannie? Gaff- yeah. So she's the, yeah. the Jeannie Gaffigan of, of, of her time. Yeah. That's so fucking funny. <laughs> she's like giving him punch up notes. Mm-hmm. It's such a charming visual. Oh, it's really head. good. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's, you know, I think this, the album is definitely worth listening to. There's a ton about America. There's a yes. ton about Roosevelt, ton about prohibition. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I wonder if you feel this way because I was struck with a very specific feeling when I listened to this album for the first time mm-hmm. um, because you understand the words that he's saying, right? But sometimes the sentences take a a few listens to to understand Mm -hmm. and there were a lot of names and a lot of references that i didn't get but i knew the ideas of what he was saying and i i could imagine what he was saying but it it really made me feel like a little kid again Mm -hmm. Uh, when you're like around adults and Uh you sort of know what they're saying but you really don't know what they're talking about Uh i had like a, a like a sense memory back to being five and smiling and nodding to what adults <laughs> were saying but like not yeah. really knowing what was going on right which i could imagine some people finding that very annoying but i find it kind of like charming i'm just like yeah okay i, th- I sure yeah <laughs> i like having to work I, for it I a little agree. right sure. i mean working I for, to, to figure it out names, is like but... it's not nothing yeah exactly right like there's a bit where he talks about having his word read work read into the congressional record right there right in there with huey long and all the other humorists you know like <laughs> You know, uh, it's just all this like it, it. And I also like very much. That's another big fuck you. It's like, OK, cool. Read my work into the congressional record. Also, fuck you for doing it. I without <laughs> without saying it. And he said it so cordially where it's like, eh, fuck yourself. Like, it, that's just how yeah. that's how that's how it reads. But he's just being so sweet. But, yeah, I mm-hmm. think it's perfectly legitimate to sit and, and like take your time on it and yeah. ponder on it. Just because it doesn't register immediately doesn't mean it's nothing. That's uh, I think a lot of people have that problem with older comedy. Uh, Dick Davey, in between, he's already had his Arkansas character, but in between being a guy and he, but he was integrating uh, music into his comedy at the time still. Um, so he's in between folk music and Dick Davey, meaning I'm performing at the Apollo, no guitar, none of that bullshit. I'm just doing stand up. Uh, there's a bit where he literally is like, so what's in the paper? Like he literally also pulls out the paper and he pulls really? Rogers and does that too. And what's funny is if you ever listen to those, you're always like, that's not true. That's not really in the paper. But he was more doing, he was more Jay Leno-ing it. He's like, here's a funny bit mm. that was written into the paper. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's not real. But I'm like, wait a minute. 
free subscription. Let me go to newspapers.com. Let me look. And 100% it's from a real paper. He actually oh, pulled it from a real it? paper. That's yes. so funny. Because I'm like, this has got to exist somewhere. It just seems to, I'm like, and I find that more legit. I, I'm like, yeah. he didn't make up every bit that was in there. Um, but anyway, that was just another little coincidence. I love it. Yeah. Also, I think um, it's important to also think about when he passed away. Mm-hmm. He, we haven't talked about this at all, but he died in a plane crash yeah. in 1935. He was in his yep. 50s. He was very young still. Yeah. Um, and we could talk for a very long time about how much we were robbed of mm-hmm. a Will Rogers who would have aged perfectly, right? Yeah. Like he's already playing 20 years older than he is in so many ways. Mm-hmm. But the nation really mourned him. And it, it was a big moment. Um, like, um, NBC and CBS went off air during his funeral. Wow. Like movie theaters went dark. Like people really were affected by it. Um, the whole country sort of went into mourning and even FDR like made a statement about it. Like so it was good. a huge moment. Yeah. FDR made a speech about how he was just so loved by his countrymen and how important his humor was and how mm-hmm. it like went to the hearts of his fellow men. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I, that's one more piece of this puzzle that reminds you of the scale of which his, his fame was reaching and just how important he was to his people, you know? Yeah. And was... wild that we just don't know who he is anymore. I know. I was <laughs> going to make a really facetious joke about how he, you know, based on his level of fame, he was really the Jake Paul of his day. Uh, I oh, don't. God. I, I refuse to make that <laughs> no! joke. I refuse to make that joke. I'm just saying that I thought it. I, is he Jake Paul or Joe Rogan? Who's to say? I don't fucking know. I barely know who Jake Paul is, except that he looks like a Nazi. Um, now, ay, 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 So you've already made an argument for this album, Katie. So I, 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 I think we've we've already talked about why you should listen to it, and I think it's worth it. It's not gonna be, it's not gonna be quick snappity snap laughs. Uh, you're gonna have to pay attention. So just I mean, know that if you're really like going for it, listen at 1.5 speed. I won't tell anyone. You know. <laughs> I do not co-sign that. I, <laughs> I cannot in good conscience. Um, so this is going to come out, like I said, in a, a couple weeks. So uh, where can people find you? What do you have yeah. coming up? Sure. Well, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel if you want. That's where I make video essays about stand-up comedians and trends in stand-up. Also, I think last time I was on, I talked about how I was working on a chapter in a book and that book is now out oh yes which is very exciting i can Mm -hmm. hold it in my dang hands um so i helped write two chapters for an academic press book about the dark side of stand-up comedy which was a blast and it features really smart people um ian brody (laughs) who i mentioned earlier was a Mm -hmm. contributor as well who i adore um but it's yeah it's it's a fun little academic book and i makes me feel like such an adult and <laughs> right as it should. so i'm really proud of that yeah but you can follow me on instagram i don't really tweet but i guess you can follow me there if you want to sure. i probably tweet like once a month and i don't really enjoy it but <laughs> it's fair it's not a fun place to be really yeah what about you what are you up to what do you oh to boy about? there's uh, i don't give a shit that doesn't matter i will just say people <laughs> you should definitely listen to listen to watch katie's uh, youtube videos they're fantastic they're brilliant Thank um, you. i love them uh yeah. oh you know what i you know i do have a podcast coming up 
I think I already mentioned it, called Looking Forward. Um, by the time this comes out, it is not out yet, but you can subscribe to it because right now the feed is just the audiobook from my book from 2008, which mm. is poorly recorded and poorly read. But you know what? <laughs> it really should have just been me riffing because uh, that character only works when you're improvising. Uh, but that's fine. Go listen to that or watch the movie. Go to lookingforwardmovie.com. Sure. Um, should I make a video about Will Rogers? What do you think? Oh my God! Yes, of course you should. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it'd be amazing. Um, I don't know if anyone, uh, no one knows who he is. I guess I will take yeah. it upon myself to educate. Yeah, it's your job. It is now your <laughs> yes. job. The onus is on you. Um, okay. I want to thank everybody for listening, uh, and thank you again, Katie, for being here. Happily. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!